Hi, I'm Angela. Hey, I'm Adrian. And we are We're Black, Black women, women in Europe. In Europe. Oh, that was almost perfect. Ah, we're going to get it. You pause too much. It, it's, yeah. Okay. So people have been listening all this time. You know that we're working on our intro. Um. Oh my God, <laughs> this is the first time I heard I paused too much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did, did I say too much? Anyway, I'm, I'm in Germany and- Because I usually Asian. talk too much. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, what? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would ever accuse you of talking too much, Adrian. Um, not to your face anyway. Um, <laughs> only an email because I can say I've got it here. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Germany and Adrian is in Sweden. And we want to welcome you to our another episode of Black Women in Europe podcast. Um, you can subscribe to our podcast on most major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, Amazon Music, Audible, and many more. Um, you never say Spotify. I do Spotify. Yeah. Eden, Swedish invention. So no, no. I, I don't know why I always forget Spotify. I use Spotify too. Um, I'm going to edit the notes next time. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> and you can also see a video version of our podcast and podcast extras on our YouTube channel. And be sure to check out our link tree, which will be in the, the show notes um, for all of our social media and uh, internet platforms and also our, all of our, where you can find our podcast and our YouTube channel. And if you'd like to, if you'd like to be a guest on our podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, please contact us at podcast at blackwomeninyourup.com. That's one word. And it goes straight to Angela. It, it goes to me and maybe I'll read it. <laughs> I let's say, I don't know if she answers emails or not, but <laughs> podcast at blackwomeninyourup.com, guests, um, suggestions, topics, appearances but today oh, or comments also comments on any episode if you have comments on an episode well, i know you're not gonna read that but no i will read it I, I promise i will read it i will read it and maybe i might even respond oh wow but today's <laughs> guest is trina roach she is also like angela in germany she's the founder of creating tomorrow I've known Trina for years now. I mean, I reached out to her after I started the Black Women Your Blog 15 years ago. I don't know how I found her, but I was already an admirer because you were there doing your, your thing with Creating Tomorrow. So I know you're in Germany. What, Germany is big. So like, what area? And welcome. 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 Thank you for the invitations, ladies. I'm uh, really happy and honored to be here tonight with you. To get back to your question, Adrian. Uh, I live in North Rhine, Westphalia, which puts me about an hour and a half northwest of the city of Cologne, a bit more than an hour northwest of the city of Dusseldorf, right on the Dutch border in a smallish little hamlet out in the country, uh, very peaceful living now. Oh, wow. Okay, that's right. You're near the Dutch border. And now you lived in Germany a long time. Angela, you've lived in Germany a long time. Who's lived there the longest? I don't know. Um, I've lived here since 1990, end of 1999. I've lived here since 1975. Wow. Wow, yeah. wow that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, how much of that do you want to tell us? Like, how did you first get to Germany? What, why? And a bit about the life you've created there, because I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I originally 
came to Germany in 1972. I started learning German and took German in as, as a foreign language in high school. And my parents wanted to motivate me, wanted to uh, reward me for good academic results and asked what I'd like to do. And I said, well, you know, I'd really like to go to Germany. And so I did come over as an exchange student and had that, you know, serendipitous moment of being in one of the most beautiful parts of the country, living with a wonderful family. So I was totally smitten from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, when I ended up going back home, I really had reverse culture shock. Although mm -hmm. I had lived in this really small town, just the idea that I was seeing so many different things. We did some traveling, we went to school there. Obviously there were the different cult uh, cultural aspects, the different, um, yeah, the different habits, et cetera. And I'm like, this is a long way from suburban Philadelphia. And uh, I swore that I really wanted to go back. Uh, like I said, I had <laughs> reverse culture shock and my formerly good academic results took a belly flop really, really far down and everybody was kind of, well, what happened to her? I had a really good, young, inspiring guidance counselor at the time. And he said, Trina, you know what? We all know that you can actually do your work. You're just bored now. You're just, you know, you're getting antsy. Talk to your parents, see if they would allow you to graduate high school in 11th grade if you get all of your credits in time. And I went to my dad and I said, you know what, can I graduate? And if I get all A's, can I go back to Germany? Wow. And he basically looked at my report card and was like, sure kid. <laughs> I never expected that to happen. No. Exactly, never expected it. But in the end, when I pulled through, he held his word. And so I graduated in June of 1974. And I headed off actually originally for a year in France in 19, September 1974. And from France, I left and went to Germany in 1975. Um, I, I studied, I studied in, in, in Strasbourg in France. Uh, and uh, later went to Heidelberg and after that to Göttingen and went to the university there. Uh, after or during this time, really, I got involved with uh, management training and development. And it started off the way so many of us start off teaching English. But in my case, it was really focused on business English. So it gave me also insight into the corporate world. So Trina, so, back yeah. then you were able to do that with what kind of visa? Like, because people are gonna try to think, okay, well, how do I go over to Germany and I can start working and or studying? So you went as a, did you enter college in I, I, Europe? Yeah, I, I was a student. I had a student visa at first. And then as so many of us who think we fell in love. So I got married. And of course, by being married, I had a, right. a residence visa and uh, that allowed me then to work. So like I said, I, I started off in that avenue of um, basically teaching business English and loved it for a while. 
uh, I liked the idea that I was meeting and seeing new people, that I had a constant, you know, influx of ideas and attitudes and perspectives. But at some point I realized the people that I'm now seeing for the third time, because they're at level three of my course, they're making those moves as they're building their careers. Where am I going? And, mm. you know, okay. They're so like a little light bulb moment, like yeah, this is definitely. all fine and good, but this yeah. doesn't have any upward mobility. Exactly. I love it now. Will I love it as much in five years time? That's literally the question that I asked myself. And one thing that I knew I didn't want to do, I did not want to like start my own language school. That was not one of my, one of my objectives. And at the time I was team teaching what was the so-called fellowship program for Adam Opal, which at the time was part of General Motors. And in this fellowship program, they basically free up someone from April to October to get them really fit enough in English so that they can go to Flint, Michigan to the General Motors University. And as I said, I was teaching with two other people. I mean, we had them five days a week. We had them, you know, six and a half hours a day. So it was really, you know, very intensive for them and for us. One of the things that I um, used as a basis for teaching and discussion was an article on branding and on creating brand names. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. I really like this. And uh, we talked about it and, you know, played around with the whole idea. About three weeks later, I saw an ad in one of the big Frankfurt papers that the leading naming consultancy in Europe was looking. They had a vacancy. I applied. The rest was kind of history. So Trina, uh, at this point, how long had you been fluent? Because you read this not in English, right? Or you read this in German. Yeah. Um, my, well, actually, one of the reasons I always loved German is because it came easily to me. I lived a year in France. My tongue and mouth aren't made to speak French. <laughs> I, I can understand French. I can say certain things even now, later on, but it never flowed with me the way German did. Uh, so that I was picking it up. I was catching on to things and I wasn't afraid to speak. Germany can be horrible in terms of grammar, but I wasn't afraid of making mistakes. I wanted to communicate. I wanted to get my point across. As a, you know, 14-year-old exchange student who had only had I don't, two or three, well, maybe more, maybe three years of German, high school German, I was trying to tell my guest mother the plot for General Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Wow! I wanted her to know. I wanted her to know what you know, the, the different people, the different doctors, and the different relationships, and whose kid was really. Katrina, two questions. Life. Two questions. Because I used to be hooked in General Hospital. Were they showing that there, or you were just no. telling her from no. memory? I was telling her. You know, I was kind of up to date because we used to watch it after school. So, and we, I grew up in a household where my mother watched it, which is probably why I watched it. And so I was like, oh, you don't have these kind of shows in Germany. You don't really have these ongoing shows that last for, I mean, General Hospital is still on, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, Over and 50 I was, years or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was trying to explain this concept to her. 
and about how you know the biographies interlink and how the people's relationships change and like I said I had only had two or three years of high school German but I was you know I was trying. <laughs> that is really great um yeah I'm 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 sure your German is very good now. It's it's quite good I still have uh you know, when I speak English a lot, my two granddaughters live with me. So, well, two oh, of my granddaughters, two of my granddaughters live with us now and uh, live with me now. And uh, they're sitting outside watching the television, but she's always, she likes to photobomb. She likes to video bomb when she can. So, yeah, um, Trina, what Angela may or may not tell you, she just passed her. What did you just pass? Well, Nina, you're going to embarrass me because she's so great at German. And I'm like, uh, I passed my B1 um, exam. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, yeah. Because in, in the beginning, you know, you, I started off with the vocabulary and still have my problems when it comes to the grammar. And now with my granddaughters here, the seven-year-old and the 11-year-old will correct my articles because if I'm talking really quickly, I just throw in an article. I mean, I don't care whether it's dandy or dust at that moment. Katrina, <laughs> Angela had to take this test as related to residency. Did you, yeah. what did you have to do for residency after you finished school and everything? And, but you were married at that point. You didn't have to- I was marry. married. I had to, what basically happened with me when I applied for permanent residency, which I was allowed to do after five years of having my residency visa. They wanted to know if I knew German. And uh, my ex took my paperwork in and whatever. And he's like, oh, she speaks great German. And, oh, we got to protest for ourselves. And I was working, we were living in Mainz. I was working in Frankfurt. And so it was like one of those things, let me get to the place before I catch my train and I don't want to be too long so I you know bustle in there and I said I, I you know I'm so and so I need to be that and that this is what you want from me what do I need to do and she just looked at me and she said you're fine it's good <laughs> it's okay <laughs> because I was in one of those <gasps> you know right exactly so you were in a tizzy and you can do it so that yeah because yeah, Angela's story you know it's, it's almost a 20-year gap and Everybody has a different story, but so fast forward. So now you're, you had that idea my career has to progress. You knew you didn't want to own a language school. When right. did you become who you are now? Like, when did you? Well, it, it was basically a point of evolution. I went into the name branding business. And a lot of times we were working together with ad agencies. So companies were introducing new products. The ad agency was involved, sometimes on the strategic side, also on the creative side. And the name was kind of in the middle. And as branding became more popular, the idea of bringing in branding experts was really then becoming uh, more crucial. What I noticed, though, if you take that whole marketing, you know, arc from A to Z, kind of, we were maybe called in at F and stayed until I, you know, we didn't see the whole thing. And I said, damn it, I, I, wanna, I wanna do that. So at one point, the Frankfurt office where I was working made the decision to close down and move to Hamburg. And I was offered the opportunity to move to Hamburg. I love Hamburg, it's one of my favorite cities in Germany. So I was sorely tempted, but then I said, you know what, this might be an interesting opportunity to segue 
into something else, segue into advertising. Frankfurt, of course, is a big advertising city. Dusseldorf is a big advertising city. And Hamburg, of course, also. So I began sending out my applications. I was getting interviewed. And as the Germans are, did you study advertising? Do you have any kind of whatever? And I'm like, no, this is what I do. And we were involved in the branding process. And one guy, he was the CEO of the company. He sat me down and he basically said, uh, you know what? Nobody will hire you in the position that you want to be in at the level you should be at based on your years of experience because you don't have that the, the certificates, the diplomas, whatever. Right, the degree, the, the training, the education. Exactly. And, and yeah, and he said, what I would do if I were you is I would sell myself as a naming, um, you know, cost center. Offer to bring them in-house naming. And I thought it was a great idea. And then I went home and I said, well, the whole thing, the whole exercise is because I want to expand my horizons and not get stuck in a box. So I stopped, well, I continued my, uh, you know, I continued sending out my resume, et cetera, and had sort of moved from Frankfurt agencies onto the, uh, the Dusseldorf agencies. And about a week and a half later, somebody offered me exactly the job that I wanted. As a matter of fact, I, 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 you know, I had the, yeah, the real honor of being involved in the advertising and marketing for what is arguably one of Germany's oldest brands, a brand that was founded in 18, I think 90, 92 or 93, depending on what you read the year thing. So that was like a masterclass in brand strategy, in uh, brand architecture, in the whole advertising. We did everything from writing concepts. We did radio, we did in-store and we did, I did 80% television work. So I really had just a wonderful opportunity to learn about the advertising business at that time. Wow. And I had a lot of fun. Uh, it was a it was a very uh, yeah exhilarating time, but at some point you got to the point I got to the point at least where I was saying, you know what I'm putting all of this blood, sweat, and tears into selling toothpaste. You know, my my, my father toothpaste had, toothpaste yeah I did other products I did other products as well we had other products in the portfolio but that was like kind of one of our one of our key products, one of our key global products as well. And I'm like, but it's just toothpaste, you know? And, and my dad has always been, or had always been very socially uh, and very civically involved. And we had always as children been exposed to, you know, the whole gamut, you know, as a seven-year-old, I was on the phone with Dr. Martin Luther King accidentally. <laughs> but, oh, well, uh, please tell us about that. At yeah. the time, I was in Harrisburg. Like I said, we grew up in Harrisburg, and there was to be a new—I uh, guess it's the president of the YMCA in Harrisburg. And somebody said, "You know what? Such a large portion of the members are black. Why not? Isn't this time you could have a black president?" You know, and they were really pushing forward. Katrina, yes. not they—they they said Negro or colored. Back then, back then it was Negro or colored. You are definitely right, but don't don't you think it's time and there was a lot of uh, and 
from poor James Farmer. They did that my father with other people organized a rally and James Farmer from poor was the guest speaker. And it was, you know, very well attended and, you know, a lot of energy and so forth and so on. Afterwards, the committee members and some other people were at our house coffee, you know, basically debriefing what happened, what's the next step and whatever. So the phone rings and I'm kind of close to it. And we had been trained as children how to answer the phone. So my little seven-year-old self gets on the phone, Roach's residence, may I help you please? you know and then you get this you know southern voice well good evening baby you know and <laughs> may i speak to mrs Rowe? also he's here and i you know i reached around i turned around and i said you know uh dad dad it's the phone for you it's a reverend king oh my god <laughs> the air got sucked out of the room because i didn't make the connection but obviously everybody else did. yes because why and, would martin luther king be calling you you know <laughs> exactly i'm like okay reference king he might be a i we knew a lot of pastors obviously a lot of pastors were involved in you know the civic activities and civ in the civil rights era right there and so there was always a reverend so-and-so or a pastor so-and-so who was on the phone and uh yeah that was my first time and then years later i met daddy king and he was actually the one that my father sicked on me to maybe waver my urge to come to Germany. I had also been looking into Spelman. And so Daddy King was like, well, baby, Atlanta, <laughs> you know? And at that time I had already made up my mind. He had actually, my father in, in their congregation, they were doing a men's day thing. And he invited Daddy King up to be the men's day speaker, which was why Daddy King was in Pennsylvania at that time, which was, 1974, started his own drug and alcohol abuse center, the Crestmont Halfway House. He realized, I actually went to a predominantly white school. I think in, in the graduating class of 400, whatever, there were four black pupils. The school district ne ne uh, near us, next to us, uh, Abington School District, they had a larger black student body. And they, the kids were being always steered toward, you know, Oh, I want to study in medicine. Well, maybe you can be a nurse's aide. Uh, I want to do, well, maybe you can. My father took bus loads of Black students to Atlanta, had them tour the Atlanta University complex, took them More to house, some of those, yeah, yeah, but also had them tour some of those luxurious Black suburbs where folks were living like we weren't imagining it in Kings and queens exactly yeah yeah exactly where we didn't imagine that so much or didn't see that outside of philadelphia so he that was another thing he did he actually injured himself during the vietnam war and it was not combat related at all but he was in valley forge general hospital uh military hospital excuse me 
And he felt kind of ashamed because there were guys left and right of him, lost a leg, lost the arm, moaning and groaning from pain. And he said, when I get out of here and get well, one of the things that he noticed is how bored they often were. If they didn't have visitors, if they lived somewhere else and their families couldn't come, they were just there. When he got better, he would organize bus trips into Philadelphia. I don't know if you remember back in the day, the big DJs in Philly like Georgie Wood, like Jimmy Bishop, they used to have the live music shows. So he would take a busload, two busloads of wounded GIs into Philadelphia to see, wow. you know, whoever it was. That was know. a big thing. Wow. That was a, that was, was the money. Was you know, with donations and the grapples and you know, all car washes and selling dinners like how we do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, one of the big DJs, I mean, he, the three big DJs, DJ, the three big DJs in Philly at the time with the three different stations was number one, Jimmy Bishop. And there was two stations were WDIS, WHAT and WIFL. So it was Jimmy Bishop, Georgie Wood, who basically was kind of a mentor for Dick Clark. And when Dick Clark developed American Bandstand, which also got started in Philly, uh, he would like tip into Georgie's knowledge. And that's why you also had a very interesting mix of not only black kids on the show, but black talent on the show. And then the geeter with the heater, Jerry Blavitt, who was uh, uh, on the predominantly pop, pop mainstream station, but who was very, very special. And to this day, and the man must be 90s, still hosts sock hops in South Jersey and in the Philly suburbs. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know what, Trina, because I don't know if it's related, but is your, did you name your business Creating Tomorrow based on the legacy of your father? Or like a lot of where he was creating tomorrow's bus and taking kids down to see what it's like on a yeah. college campus or, you know, it, if you achieve. It was really literally against the backdrop of what he was doing and what I was doing that gave me that impetus to say, you know what, it was good while it lasted, but I got to move on from here. I got to move on. Toward the end of my tenure in the agency, I was um, manage, uh, account manager. Now, what was my title back then? Jesus. Oh, management supervisor, that was the title. And I was, we were building up, however, uh, learning and development within the agency. We also had a big network within Germany. And Dusseldorf was the headquarters of basically middle Europe as we started to expand into Central and Eastern Europe. So the need for learning and development was very high. Well, I had been involved and management training and development in another lifetime. So in the, for a while, I kind of straddled the fence. And then at one point it was like, I gotta, you know, I gotta, you know, decide. So I became head of human resources development for middle Europe within the agency network, which gave me an opportunity to craft a really interesting developmental program Trina, that's huge. Say it again, the title. Say it again. Uh, Director of Human Resources Development Middle Europe. So that basically expand, extended from, well, actually, 
I, it was also including the Netherlands and whatever, but based in Dusseldorf and all the way then over to, you know, to the, well, at that time, then Russia already. And um, that had me, gave me the opportunity to develop programs, to go out and, you know, spread the gospel of learning and development at the other, especially in Eastern Europe, because I'd spent a lot of time in Poland, I spent time in the Czech Republic, I spent time in Bulgaria, spent time in Russia, et cetera, in, in, in Estonia as well. But then also begin crafting training and workshop sessions around my strengths. And the first one that I identified and the first one that really just filled me with energy and light was presentation skills. I got that from my father. My father was a gifted natural speaker. And one thing I noticed is that there often was a kind of checklist. Don't do this, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, this is not what I'm interested in. Um, but I was shy in the beginning. I knew the culture of our agency and I developed a workshop that fit within the culture. And it was about this thick, you know, the whole thing. And after doing the workshop twice, I realized that's not where people's problems lie with so many things. They can go to a bookstore and buy a book about presentation skills and get those checklists. They can go online. They can now go to YouTube or whatever and get that input. What they don't get is real-time feedback on how right. their presentation style turbo boosted their message. And so I basically dumped that presentation after delivering it two or three times, revamped it totally so that it became an opportunity for people to present, get, observe themselves because I videotaped them. This is how I feel before I present. I'm nervous, I'm this, oh, I thought I was so terrible. Then see themselves oh, it's not as bad as I thought, or, oh my God, I thought I was halfway decent. Look what I just did. To then opening it to the room and getting everyone to give feedback. This is how I experienced it. This is what I saw. I always then go last and give my honest opinion too, but add best practice or point out worse practice so that people have a bigger picture and not only themselves. So that was basically the first pillar that I started building on was my presentation warrior workshop series. And now, I, hmm? Well, I was gonna say, because you told us you were used to um, navigating in white spaces being one of the only black women from your mm -hmm. school. You said out of a yep. graduate class of 400, there were four. Yeah. Now you're in Germany and you're doing how many people, other Afro-Germans or African-Americans or people from the diaspora were in your space career-wise? None. None. Yeah, that was, None. that was kind of going to be a question I had, but I, I wonder how are you received and you were, you worked in so many European countries. How are you received as a, as a woman first coming into all these spaces and then one that wasn't white was that positive i mean i uh, guess so. I, I, well it wasn't it wasn't negative negative in other words i never encountered sort of whatever like sort of blatant we don't want her here kind of thing what i did encounter from time to time was oh 
our agency always gave uh, a prize to students who had done an excellent paper for the marketing club, the German marketing club. And for several years, I was the one who would go to the spring conference of the German marketing club and hand over this check. This was one of my, one of my, the thing was our CEO was an excellent presenter. And when he saw me present, he was like, who's she? <laughs> you know, who, 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 who is she? You know? So a lot of times when he couldn't make a speaking engagement, he would ask me if I would go. And this was one of those situations where, let me just listen to this. No, we can take a second if you need to. Let me, I'll just turn on my mute. Yeah, we'll take ask. a second. No problem. Yeah, yeah, we'll just pause for a minute. They're okay. They're All right. They're just uh, being a little girls. Um, oh, that's good that they're that they're just having fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in any case, I mean, I can remember one situation, and usually maybe the Lord Mayor was there of the city as you know hosting the marketing club or somebody like that. And one day I had arrived early because my train was early, and I was just kind of standing around. And I had greeted one of the professors who I knew from other whatever, but I kind of you know wandered around. I didn't want to you know block his time before the session because I know he wanted to mingle as well. So he was mingling and speaking to a gentleman and all of a sudden he kind of, you know, kind of gestured toward me and said, you know, what is the Negro woman doing here? And I turned around and looked at him and said, I'm the one with the money. So wait a minute. So you can hear you you were in earshot. Yeah. But how do you say that in German? Um or not in a negative sense, but really just no, curiosity. Curiosity. Yeah, who, who is she? Why is she here? You know, what is she doing here? Um, so you could hear that and you could say- Oh, he used that word? What year was it, this? At, this is, I mean, this is in the 90s and that was not, it was beginning to be controversial, but it wasn't in mainstream Germany. Yeah, we've got, you know, Mega Crusa, we've got whatever, whatever, and nobody saw a problem with it. So thank goodness yeah. that's changed and that's we can changing. just be Schwarzer or yeah. Schwarzer. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I had those kind of experience or people coming into a room when I'm doing, conducting a workshop and, you know, looking for the facilitator. Yeah, who, where, who is it? And then, you know, a lot of times I'm doing something else. I can remember it was, it was very, very funny. I had planned, I had regular events. We had like a really wonderful, um, like a lecture hall within the agency and we were having a special guest the next day, an external speaker. And toward the evening, I wanted to make sure that I had the seating the way that I wanted it for this session as I had agreed upon it with the, with the speaker. So it was summer. I had on a little, you know, summer shift and whatever. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to do it before I, you know, whatever. I took the shoes off and whatever, and I'm moving stuff around. At some point, the cleaning crew came in the external cleaning crew. And they kind of look, you know, it's this person who doesn't belong to our crew. Mm -hmm. What is she doing and doing around? And a few minutes later, one of the, I guess maybe a Turkish or, you know, Greek woman or whatever, she called the one black guy over who was working on the crew. Look, she's nice looking, maybe you should talk to her. Because obviously there I am, you know, my, my sleeves rolled up, no shoes on, moving desks. And you know. in a way that sweetie was like, yeah. she was like, let, let me let me hook my. She's single, hook my you know. Up. I don't let know. Hook my boy up. But you know what? I've also had other really positive examples. 
we used to do, for example, uh, regularly for Texas Christian University, they have a exchange program where in the summer they have students from their, oh, good Lord, one of their, is it, their business school. They, and they come over to, and they come over uh, to Germany. And one of the things that I would be uh, requested to do is a case study. And one year, for example, it's happened several times, but this was the, the best example, was a young Muslima as part of the group. So here you got Texas Christian University, and you've got, you know, this Muslima with scarf and everything, and did the presentation, chit-chatted with everyone. At the end, she came up to me and she said, can I have my picture taken with you? Oh. It, was, it was so sweet. And I had something similar in, in Spain. I was in Madrid doing a workshop. And uh, the young man that they had assigned to me in the hotel to help me with the technical side was also an Afro-Spaniard. And he sat and after everything was done, he was like, can I just tell you, I really enjoyed this. I'm a student and I'm doing this part-time and I was so involved, I almost forgot to help you technically. And you know, it was just you know, such a fantastic feeling to know that they were looking and seeing, hey, I can segue into that. Representation matters. Yeah. Definitely. It definitely. But, you know, let me, let's back to like Angela's questions and my questions about you being in corporate Germany and corporate Europe and not seeing mm -hmm. a, a, and being the only one in your space. Was it yeah. in that, in your particular track or even in the whole building? No, like, in, the the whole whole building in the whole building. There okay, were no now. other Black people. As a matter of fact, ah, that one time they did have an, an Asian Indian, a gentleman from India there. Um, that was about as exotic as it got. It really was about okay, as and as you said, it was it was never a hinder. Did you ever see it as an advantage? And how was your American? Did your Americanism ever come into play? I think that was the big advantage. Yeah, she's American and she's black. This is you know, hey, when she stands up and gives a presentation all eyes are on her when she opens her mouth and speaks german everybody's going wow because we know americans we can be a little they shady about yeah. speaking they don't yeah. want to speak german yeah <laughs> yeah and, and and so all of those kinds of things i mean obviously there were people who probably didn't particularly like it but those weren't people that were like in my way and I think although he might have been just as prejudiced or just as whatever as the next person, our CEO was showman enough to understand the impact that I had. For example- Because you're a good business person. Exactly. For example, he always wore a certain, the certain things he always wore that were him. And people always knew that's him. In the beginning, I love hats. And I used to always wear a hat. And one of my favorite hats was a, a red hat that I would wear every day. And he would look at me and he'd go. And then if I wore another color, he was like, where's the red? Where's the red? Yeah, yeah. You know, business is partly yeah. show. Yeah, you exactly. know, like if yeah. you want people to buy things or trust you, you have yeah. to, you know, give them something. Yep, that's right. That's right. Um, you when, know, Go ahead, Angela. Oh, I just wondered, you know, in general, was the field that you worked in or work in, was it filled with women all along or 
was that like, were you also the only woman? Because as a person who worked in IT for many years, I would be not the only black woman, I would just be the only woman. And that's a whole different like kind of space in a way. Yeah, during my tenure in advertising, women had come up to the ranks and were in that middle space. Mm. Middle of management was pretty much full of women. Senior management, not so much. That's changed in the meantime, but at that time there were just, you know, we didn't have a, a female managing director. We did have one or two creative directors, but then that's more, you know, creative. We can let the ladies do that a little bit too. But we didn't have on the on the uh, account management side, we didn't have any uh, managing directors who were female. Yeah. So yeah. when did you, Angela, did you have another one? Because I was just wondering, when did you, because you did great things there, and then you decided, okay, I got to do other stuff, be more like my dad, maybe not be more, more like my dad, but well, why not be like my, you know, my dad, you know, you, you were raised in service and doing things, you know how you were raised. Yeah. How did that lead you to being, I call, are you a business coach? A life coach? I, 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 no, I'm not a life coach. I'm not a life coach. I'm more a leadership, more executive coach. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that, that's, that's it. More, more my, my, uh, that's my lane. Basically, what I saw within the program that we had, and this program was award-winning. We won an award for the recruiting, et cetera, program that you had. I was also um, responsible for all of the advertising apprentices that uh, we had in the agency network, uh, so that at any given time, we had about 100 agency apprentices who I selected with my team and who I, you know, rotated through our different departments, et cetera. So this whole arc of learning and development that we had was just stellar and was just um, one of a kind in Germany. I said, do you and, mind talking a little bit about that? Because I think apprentices may be unique to Germany. I'm not okay. sure. Okay. So apprenticeships, it's kind of like... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Now, if you go into the internship, uh, internship is slightly different. Exactly. Slightly different. Um, for example, in Germany, you have the option. Okay, you've done your, 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 your gymnasium. You've done your, you know, your lower studies. You finish that. And you make the decision, do I want to go to university? Or do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? One of the ways that you have to further qualify yourself, either as a substitute for academic studies or as a stepping stone to academic studies is doing a so-called apprenticeship. Apprenticeship lasts in Germany for two and a half to three years. You spend part of your time in the company that hires you and, That's part, of, and part of your time in school. And when you're in the company, you're working. You're, you're doing something. And then, of course, the school gives you the theoretical background that helps you uh, really consolidate your knowledge. And uh, we were basically the agency that trained the future for the agency business in Germany. Because I, I thought those were for people that were going to do. As well, as well. That's fantastic. As well. I mean, if I want to go out and be a plumber tomorrow, I can be a plumbing apprentice, but I can also, to now it well, I was one of the people when we changed, when the different media 
became uh, like, you know, online marketing and all of these different things became more popular. Obviously you had to focus on those. Obviously you had to um, give people an opportunity to have looks into those areas as well. And we were doing it within our network because we not only had classical advertising agencies, we had a media agency, we had a PR agency, we had a whatever, whatever. So our kids could basically spend time here, spend time there. So when they realized that this, um, this profile of advertising specialist verbally was too limiting because people were needing to do more. It was rewritten. And I was asked by the uh, Federation of German Advertising Agencies to be one of the specialists to help rewrite this curriculum, especially because I was already running, based on the rest of the agencies, I was already running the program of the future. So I was very uh, instrumental in, in doing that. And there was something else I was going to add. Oh, and the thing I wanted to add too is that when the kids finish their apprenticeship, they take an exam in front of the Chamber of Industry and Commerce. So the Chamber of Industry and Commerce basically gives them the gold seal that they have done an outstanding job. They understand what they're talking about, et cetera. And within the chamber, for example, I would give the English exams, for example, within the chamber. Trina, you were badass. Did I, can mommy hear that? Then I thought that I knew. <laughs> um, wow, okay, so you did all of this stuff, award-winning stuff, and then, so when did you start? I don't know if Creating Tomorrow was your first iteration. When I, when I found you, it was Creating Tomorrow. When did yeah. you start that or the before? Okay. What I, what I realized is that, one second, please, I just have to look. One thing that I realized was, although our training program, we had a program called the Gray Academy. We had an average of three sessions a week addressing different levels within the organization. And uh, I'm just looking at, oh, that's my door. I was wondering what that strip was. Uh, and, uh, what I noticed though, however, was it was all external knowledge. It was all facts, figures, information. Very little attention was paid and sometimes none to actually cultivating the human being that you were expecting to take advantage of all of this information and all of this knowledge. And at some point I realized I had the luck, my managing director in the very beginning was a great uh, role model. But that was his personal style and wasn't part of the agency culture. Culture, right, okay. So when he was called to be managing director in Moscow and I got a different managing director, I was like, and I didn't have the worst one. I had, I mean, I, I learned to arrange myself with him. It was okay. But I realized you're not doing anything for the people. It's like you have these wonderful heirloom seeds and you're throwing them on the asphalt. What do you expect? Wow, to I can totally picture that. Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah. Some of them might get blown, you know, onto onto the soil, but then you've got all of these precious heirloom things, just yeah. And that is when I became interested in coaching. And that is when I decided to start my coaching, uh, you know, my coaching course. And I said, this is actually what you need parallel to all of the info and all of the knowledge and all of the best practice, worst practice, 
you need to be solidifying, stabilizing, building these individuals and also helping them discover where are my strengths? Where is my Achilles heel? And how do I play to my strengths instead of simply, you know, being pushed back and forth like a pawn on the chessboard? So did you do this then initially within the agency as part of your job to test it or you had to- I, I actually, I actually, um, I actually started the training there and realized I was already doing part of it kind of intuitively and then began to focus more on being mindful of what I was doing. And at the time, um, the agency I worked for is part of a big international agency. At that time, the owner of the agency network was pushing 80. So the big clients like Procter & Gamble, like SmithKline, et cetera, were asking, what is your succession plan? What, what, what's going on here? We, we, we love you, we love the agency, but we ain't gonna live forever. And the second most successful agency behind the American agency was the German agency. Our CEO was a wonderful salesman. He had great ambition, he wanted that job, but he had a difficult personality and the Americans basically internally said, never gonna happen you know i was going to mention that because he loved you and that's part of it too being able to work with people or like you had something he liked these other people like he's good but we can't work with him yeah 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 exactly because he was i mean i'll give you a little a little uh little anecdote we this is back in the day when you still had acetate foils to give presentations on that's dating dating myself there so we had a, a program within the agency called euro players where the german agency the italians the french we all got together people who were considered euro players shared best practice blah 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 the italian ceo was up to speak and overshot his time by about 10 minutes our ceo was next he went up with the binder full of his acetate slides. He reached in, pulled out a handful of slides, threw them up in the air and said, thank you, Ugo, because of you. I don't get to do that. Oh my God, wow. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was who he was. That was- Oh, that's horrible. Like, was he bipolar or something? That was horrible. He, 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 he was kind of a, he was a narcissist. He was a narcissist. Now, what would have happened to you if you would have done that? Oh. I, I didn't. I didn't have the standing to do that. You that's know, that's. I, wow. Yeah, yeah I mean, you didn't have the standing just, or the temperament. Yeah, yeah, as well, as well. But I mean, he—that was something. I mean, you would see him basically. Either he was loving you, or he was not loving you, and there was very seldom any lukewarm thing going you know but, so you did know. you okay so i'm sorry just just so i can sleep tonight you were never on the wrath the end of that wrath of in, in the end i kind of was um oh. I, I kind of was because i had set forth a program for how i thought human uh, human resources development should look how we should run it unbeknownst to me the CFO's son needed a job. Wow. So wow. the CFO's son, and I had a big problem working with the CFO's son. 
Um, I'll tell you why. When I was still working in branding, we worked with this agency on a product, on a project for a fragrance brand. And he was part of that presentation where we presented, they presented first, and they basically, it, it was so funny, they basically just had, okay, a list of names, five names on a, on a slide. I had asked the company for pictures of the mock-ups of the bottles. I had scanned those in. I had put each of the names into the bottle so that I had separate slides where you just basically had the bottle with the name on it. And I really sat down one night and looked through all of the material that they gave us. And there's this wheel that is, is familiar in the fragrance world where they define the note. This is like a woodsy, this is mossy, this is whatever. So I sat there like an idiot at like nine o'clock at night going, I don't know, whatever the name was, uh, you know, revive, revive. What is that? Is that woody? Is that? And so my whole description of the name was, you know, exuding this, you know, floral or woody. And they're all sitting there going, what is this woman on to? And even though <laughs> And even though people didn't agree with me necessarily, oh, I think that's much more citrusy. We were having this very valuable conversation. We were having a discussion. The yeah, other guy was just like slides with names. No, it was just one slide with five names. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, you know, he, and then he kind of came on because he was also a little younger. And so when he became, quote unquote, my boss, the person that I answered to, he wasn't even really my boss, but there was like a dotted line between us. He kind of, you know, he had to show his oats, so to speak. And I basically wasn't having it, you know. And But then again, his dad is the CFO. So all the CFO has to do is talk to the CEO. And, but no, I see how that was going to go on. And, you know, see, this is where you wonder, does racism, sexism come in? You know, because here he is obviously unqualified. Okay, nepotism, we see that everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That is everywhere. Yeah. And, but and if you were a white male world. boss, you know, maybe it would have been, you know, if he's too incompetent, maybe nobody would have wanted to work He was like that with most people. He was not well-liked. And everybody knew that daddy's son, you know, daddy's son. Because, I mean, yeah. you know, even, even my managing director, the new managing director, we would sit at meetings with him, and you could just see it on the man's face that as soon as he left the room, it was like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of like, well, what did he break today? <laughs> so this kind of, you were like, okay, this is my signal to go. And, and, and then basically what happened because the German CEO didn't get the global CEO position, he decided to leave. He decided to retire. Guy they brought in as a CEO was known as the guy you bring in when you want to dismantle your agency, which oh. already really impacted the morale. And I'm like, and it was like, you woke up one day and you weren't even working at the same company. And I said, you know, it's, this, is, this is the sign from, you know, whatever, it's time for me to, time for me to yeah. go. And that's when I, that was 2005, that's when, I, that's when I left. That's when I then started creating Tomorrow. That's when I was coaching less and doing more Presentation Warrior. I was very busy doing Presentation Warrior. And then as I continued, I began to add more and more coaching opportunities, more and more training opportunities under the umbrella of leadership in general. My perspective is 
the way we communicate and the way we manage ourselves in order to successfully lead other people. And, uh, you know, my whole portfolio basically interlocks like that. It's, you know, how do I communicate in such a way that number one, my self-talk is helping push me towards self-mastery and therefore helps me be the kind of leader that my people need. How did you get your first clients and how did you know how to price your, oh, price, oh, your worth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had the advantage of within the agency sphere, people knew me. Uh, then again, you have a colleague who had taken my workshop who now worked at a different agency and, hey, Trina, would you do that for us? So I had that. Pricing was kind of difficult, especially in the beginning. It still can be difficult. But, uh, you know, I talked to people and I tried not to be super modest and I learned a lot over the years. But uh, in the beginning, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of touch and go. Sometimes I was under, I was definitely underpricing what I delivered. And I had to learn to be more, to take more stock in my own expertise and to charge what I thought I was worth. And then you get into the situations where, I mean, which are good tools, uh, good teaching tools, but they, they hurt at the moment is when you let on the one hand them work with the price, push the price down, but add on to what they want or change what they want. And then if it doesn't go right, because you told them this is not gonna work, they don't accept responsibility that they were the ones who wanted to change. They look at you, you should have done better. You should have made it work. And so I'm one of those people now. I mean, I have had situations where a workshop was not going well. And I would say, if this is not back on board, um, whatever, I can go home. I can just go home. Wow. So you have the power. You always have the power. But at this point now, you know when it's not going well. Yeah, yeah. And you have no problem making that clear. Yeah. And that doesn't always lead with happy clients or is it always no, happy no. in the end or not? It, well, well, there's some people who don't, who find that, you know, very strange, how dare she, but it is what it is. You know, it just is what it is. Uh, obviously there are always, you know, there are always puddles you step in along the way and mm. it, sometimes you lose your focus, but more and more I've come to the point of saying, this is what I want to do. This is how I do it. Either it's for you or it's not. It's not about morphing me to be for you. It's about you defining what you want and going out and finding the person who can authentically deliver it. And if it's not me, I'm not mad. And you know what, Trina, that's right on so many levels and in so many situations. From relationships, whether they be intimate to friendships, to job roles, to clients, to um you know what I mean some things don't have to be that hard either it works or it doesn't but so tell us about creating tomorrow your next chapter and that is a proprietary coaching pilot so that wasn't just me being cute like because I know so it's creating tomorrow colon your next chapter so that what do you mean proprietary coaching and pilot I know means new so yeah it's new it's proprietary it's it's a, a course that I developed um I mean, obviously all of us have been going through this drastic change with the pandemic, but many of us have other kinds of changes that impact our lives. 
So whether we're good at planning and have our five-year, 10-year plan in place, or whether we just wing it, there's this point in time where all of a sudden life takes a sharp left turn. And I mean, it happened to me, I've now in my, in my old age, got a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old living here with me. And it really changed the way I navigate this space of life. And I had to think about what did I need to do to adjust and on a theoretical level, you know, I, I need to do A, I need to do B, I need to do C. But that's superficial. That's not allowing you to do the work. In other words, the work, the inner work of you coming to grips with change you didn't want, maybe saying goodbye to a dream that you were passionate about, or even getting over your own bullheadedness about sifting through the rubble and taking out the pieces of that old dream and use them as a basis for the newer version of that dream. And because, you know, obviously the pandemic really multiplied and magnified that, plus I guess it's something that I think I can offer people, an opportunity to work through their mess and allow those broken pieces to make new sense and make new sense in a way that's not totally rational, cerebral, but that also speaks to your heart and speaks to your gut. So that though maybe six months ago, maybe 12 months ago, you would have never imagined that your life would look like this. In a moment of mindfulness, once you get through the process, you can sit there and say, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Wow, that is amazing. I could have, I could have used your service a few years ago um, to put me on the right course. I mean, I managed to find it anyway, but mm -hmm. I would have loved to have someone have like a structured mm -hmm. kind of class or course yeah. to help me do that. Um, wow. Well, what happened, Angela? Like, what do you mean? Why do you think that would have been helpful? What were you going through? Um, well, I told you I lost my job and um, mm -hmm. I lost my job in a foreign country. But I don't know if Trina knew. I knew. Did Trina know? And that oh, okay. I, I was completely unprepared mm -hmm. for that. And yeah, like I, let's just say I spent a lot of time like depressed, like mm -hmm. in, in the beginning, because I just mm -hmm. was like, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. You know, mm -hmm. I'm here in this country. I can't go home because I don't have anything to go home to. Yeah, you know, and yeah, this would have been, and, and especially now you hear about so many people, the great resignation. For example, yeah. yeah and, where, and what, what does the next chapter then look like? Yes. It's one thing to resign. Or it's one thing to get thrown off course. That's right. How do you work your way back onto the path that's meant for you? That's right. That's right. I'm sure that a lot of people would like to uh, get in touch with you. Um, but wait a minute, Angela, even too, because I want to know more, because this, like you say, is amazing. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, like you say, you know, 2020, 2021, you know, we're still going through it. Everybody, I've got stuff. Is this just for executives? No, that no, this is actually an open program. And because I want to find, you know, this is the reason for the pilot. 
because I want to fine tune it and I want to really get input from people who go through the first iteration and use their input to, you know, smooth out the rough edges. And that's why I wanted to do, or I want to do, I will be doing a smaller pilot program, no more than four to six people in the enrollment. There will be a nominal charge for the program, but the real payment to me from the participants will be that they commit to filling out a questionnaire at the end, commit to really giving some insightful feedback on what worked for them, what was especially valuable, and things that maybe seemed off key or seemed to not dive deep enough, et cetera. That's, so, that's really great. Yeah, so I really want to do that. And then once I get that sort of in, in place, then I would open up the full program. And uh, well, I know you would only want four to six people. How much time? What kind of commitment? It's a seven. It's a seven-week program. There are seven sessions. Um, at the moment, I'm a little bit up in the air, and maybe it'll depend on the first cohort whether I want to do weekly sessions or bi-weekly sessions, giving people more time to do that inner reflection work or keep it compact and keep it intense it'll depend on the cohort i think and we'll try it and I'll, one of the questions would be how did you experience it this way and how do you think doing it the other way would have compared in terms of the quality the take-home value for you and um yeah it, it, it's so what kind of challenge do i have to be facing to be a candidate um, say I didn't lose my job in the pandemic, but someone died or yeah. I, for example, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what do you think is a reason? I, I think the, the important thing here is to be mindful of what is your objective? What do you want to reach on the other side? Where do you want to land when you're at the end of this program? And then by working your way back, it helps me, but it also helps the participant to figure out well, what are the steps I need to take? Whether you're losing a job, whether you're leaving a relationship, whether you've lost a dear one, there's pain, there's mourning to process. There's really going into yourself and on one hand, allowing yourself to feel those feelings, but on the other hand, using those feelings as, as, as fodder, as fertilizer, for the rest of the journey. And then this idea of making the pieces make new sense. In other words, I'm, I'm left with this, you know, these shards of glass. What do I do with them? What so seven do? weeks, how yeah. many hours? And if it's four to six, when, when, whenever that time is together, whether it's, as you say, you know, bi-weekly or weekly, is it a, as a group and how long, or if it's individual, how, how much time is that with you? Basically what will happen, let, let me open up my little chart here by the side because of course I have it closed. But basically what you have is uh, group coaching sessions and you have several opportunities also for individual coaching. And you can also, if needs be, book additional individual coaching if you feel that you really wanna go really deep. And, uh, you know, 
have a, a more intensive a more intensive experience. So it's basically up to you. And then again, too, I would be doing a, a, a Facebook group probably to give the participants an opportunity as well to interact with one another, to build and encourage and, and basically inspire one another. I think the dialogue, and this is where I really would see myself in that space as a facilitator and not you know, the fearless leader, getting people to connect and share their stories, getting people to connect and, and, and share their pain, their burdens, if there, if there are those things, their frustration, their disappointment, their anger, and then to work through that. Uh, I, I'll, I'll say this, uh, I, I, we're gonna be doing some journaling, some intensive journaling, some, some, some really provocative journaling as a partner discipline, to the other work that we'll be doing because it's all about going in, daring to step into that inner dialogue space. And not only the dialogue that you might have with me or the dialogue you might have with one of the other participants, the most important aspect is the inner dialogue. Yeah, wow. Um, this sounds like an amazing program. And once you get through your trial, your pilot program, mm -hmm. um, are you going to be doing a, like a train the trainer to expand your cohort of people who have this ability? My, my plan is I want to run at least four sessions in 2022. One of the things I also want to do is remaster the content. Hopefully we'll either all be vaccinated or, you know, whatever, right. because I would love and I plan to offer this also as a retreat mm, yes after that that would be the time when a possible train the trainer if i really see it getting the traction that i expect then the train the trainer would be something that would be on the agenda after that yeah that sounds really i'm totally excited about this program and uh i might be once you get it all all the sort of things worked out, I would love to take this program because it sounds Fantastic. It sounds really awesome. Um, yeah, I definitely. Um, Trina, you did a little bit of work with us during you. And, and you know what? I feel proud of this because when the pandemic hit and I said, okay, we're really into something. We got to do something and put out the call in the network. You guys can see I'm having a hot flash. Woo. And you offered a network a workshop, free yeah. workshop, because we wanted to help people during the pandemic. And what did we learn? And what did you learn through the pandemic and stuff like this? And how, like, I feel like this is part of what you're, you're still helping us get through the pandemic. Like you started helping us mm -hmm. then. What did we learn then? Because I remember that was powerful. I think one of the powerful lessons that I had in general, and therefore I was so thankful for you, to you for inviting me, was that we had to make that effort to reach out to one another. And we had to not only reach out, we had to be prepared to give and to share our gifts with others, and then also reach out and accept their gifts as well. Because I, I know within the spectrum of what you offered, you had a little bit of everything. You know, you had 
so many different topics coming from so many different areas. And that was what people needed. They needed an opportunity to stay in touch, to stay connected. They needed an opportunity to find topics that spoke to and fed their souls. And uh, also for me, like doing a workshop and staying in contact with people help keep me a little sane, you know, help. And, and then you're hearing about, oh, I'm not the only one who feels like that. I'm not the only one who's going through this. Or, no, absolutely. And Trina, yeah. your topic was like life-saving, like how to, I think it, I don't know if it was how to stay sane when suddenly working from home or, or maintaining work-life balance when suddenly. Yeah, it was the work-life balance. Exactly. The work working from home, could you? Yeah. Because all of yeah. a sudden you were right. And so you helped keep uh, a lot of people sane. You taught people real usable skills. You know, I was like there taking notes. You know, it's like, because everything, even though I've been working from home for a while, it wasn't under these stressful circumstances. Yeah, and not, yeah. You know, yeah. where my partner still had to go out to the world, you know, where I'm trying to, cope, you know, like, all, like I said, all that stuff was coming together. So I think there are tons of candidates for your pilot program. I, I would love it. I would love it. As a matter of fact, one thing I have had to do, though, uh, speaking of work-life balance, <laughs> one of the things I had to do, I had actually planned to launch uh, this month, and I'm going to push it back to the middle of January just simply because I have got to keep things kind of, you know, keep things on an even keel. And I realized I was, you know, getting on that achievement uh, hamster wheel again. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. So I'm going to, you know, be promoting it. I took even a little bit of a break from promotion. I'm going to be promoting it a little bit more strongly. Really, you know, thank you both, of course, also for the opportunity to talk about it, to mention it, because I really do want to find those four or six people who think this can add value to this place in their journey. Well, you know, in addition to this, you know, give me the info. We'll get it out on the blog, you know, the LinkedIn group and stuff, you know, yeah. we'll do that. Um, so I, you know, as I, when I started this saying, you know, I've always admired you when I found you. I was like, you know, I'm starting this black woman in Europe thing. You're already doing it. Do you think I have a chance? You were like, girl, you do it. You know, and that was the encouragement I needed to keep going. And, and, you know, mm -hmm. we're doing all kinds of things. You've done workshops, you've mm -hmm. done, you're doing the podcast. You're going to do this. And I want to know, are you still doing the executive coaching? Just so we know we're giving everybody, because this, this um, next chapter is open for everyone. Are you still working yes. with executive coaches? And what do you want to leave us with before we wrap? Because you do nothing but drop nuggets. So what else do you have? You know, yes, I, I, I still do coach uh, individuals, individual executives or people who are looking towards self-mastery to complete important milestones in their lives and careers. So that's a, a center of what I do. I still uh, offer also a lot of workshops that deal with leadership skills, uh, emotional intelligence, for example, uh, obviously how to be an inclusive leader. That's one of the things that is, uh, you know, has come into focus over the last uh, year and a half, two years. I think if we look at the four topics that have really gained momentum in corporate world. One would be the idea of purpose. What's my organization's purpose on one hand? My perspective is, what's my purpose as an individual? So that I know if there's a good match between my own personal purpose and the purpose of this organization. The second thing would be, um, of course, the so-called new work. 
we're never going to all go back to the office. That's not going to happen. How do you navigate this hybrid space where some people need to go to the office? You know, they need to have that physical cut. They need that safe space of the office. They Other need that structure, that yes. safe space. Yeah. 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 They, they, they don't have anybody else. To, they'll never see another person if they don't go to the office. Right. right. And, and there's issues like isolation and loneliness that affect some people where other people are like, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to see nobody today. You know, let me just get you this email. Let me just send you this presentation. If you've got any questions, hit me up on Slack. We're good. You know, so how do you navigate that space, especially when you're, for example, leading a team? Yeah. How do you find that happy medium where your super introverts are doing fine, but also your super extroverts? How do you do that? So what did I say? I said number one was purpose. Number two was uh, new work. Number three would be diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Because now more and more, you're seeing that I got to get the best talent and I got to figure out how to attract them to me. I have to figure out how to keep them. And first of all, I have to figure out where the heck is my blind spot as an organization, as a leader. And how do you, how do you actually not, you know, walk that talk? How do you not only stand for it, but be a living role model for it? Okay. And, and, and the final topic that I think I've, I've come up with or that I've noticed in the virtual space in terms of discussion is resilience. Just this idea that we have oh, yeah. all been going through so much. And how do we nurture and tap into those inner wells that we all possess? How do we make sure, speaking of work-life balance, that you maintain a more or less even keel, that you stop and be good to yourself, show yourself grace. And how do you establish an atmosphere where you feel inspired to do your best work? What are the routines that you need to actually instill in order to do the kind of work that you will be proud of, that will light a fire within you and therefore light a fire within others? So those from my point of view, those are the four things that are really, you know, those are the, yeah, those, those four stars that are, you know, in the, in the sky shining brighter than the other ones. Wow. Those four points are awesome. And um, number, the number four, I'm still trying to work that out. Like how to just, you know, cut cut the cord at a certain time and yeah. say, yeah, I'm at home, but, and I could keep working, but yeah. it's better if I just like relax a bit, right. spend some time with my family, right. maybe watch a movie or, you know, something yeah. else besides working. And when I, when I, I've, I've been doing this more than I did in the past few mm -hmm. years and like, I feel so much better. Yes. I, I feel so much better the fact that I'm taking some time for myself and that I'm not constantly worrying about, oh, this or that or this or that, like it'll keep till tomorrow. And if it, do, exactly. I mean, there's nothing that I'm doing that's like emergency, you exactly. know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. 
Um, wow, Trina, this has been super. Um, how, how can our listeners, viewers find you uh, on the internet? Okay, uh, my email address is simply Trina at still hyphen creating hyphen tomorrow.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and the German network work uh, thing, as they say. Uh, I have a page on Facebook still. I have the Facebook page still creating tomorrow. And uh, I'm in the process of doing more and more on Instagram as well. Also still creating tomorrow. Right. That's awesome. We'll include all those links. You have a website? I can't remember if you have a website. Not anymore. I'm in the process okay. of putting up a portfolio site again. I see, because um, you know what? That's another conversation if websites even needed, because what yeah, you said was yeah. good. So yeah. in the end, I'm really going more toward just having a home for my portfolio, not something that, you know, is, is you know, with blog and whatever. I think I just want people to be able to click on the link and say, oh, I'm interested in your next chapter, or next I'm interested in Presentation Warrior. And let me find out some of the deets about it and let me maybe click a link so I can shoot off a line or two to Trina and see how we can come together. You know what, before I forget, because I know Angela's um, is always so good at wrapping up and seeing the things I forget, but um, she is, Angela is, interested in us continuing maybe doing different workshops like we did the last two us and like I say a lot of different things so be prepared to be tapped for okay. something okay. right Angela yeah for sure I think this would be uh, uh, just the things that we've talked about would be a great like seminar webinar for women's history month okay because women are women need this yeah. You know, I mean, men need it too. As well, but, but but women really need this to be mm -hmm. able to progress and flourish in their chosen careers or right. the careers they haven't even imagined yet. That that is definitely true. I especially appreciate that last part. That things that you haven't even dared to dream of yet for yourself. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So I would definitely, you know, be open to being on board. And uh, yeah, you know. I really am looking forward to taking the learnings from this pandemic and finding, discovering, sharing ways with other people on how we're gonna manifest them in the future and how we're gonna learn from them so that we can not only do things differently, but do things better. Wow, and that is a great point. I think we should leave it there. And we thank you so much, so much, Trina. Um, and we will definitely include all your contact information in the show notes for the podcast. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm so glad you guys you two met. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be jealous in the future. You guys are gonna meet and have coffee one day <laughs> when everything's safe. When thank I, when I get back down the side court, yeah. Thank you. Where, where exactly are you located, Angela? Um, I live a little bit south of Mainz, so. Oh, you live, okay, you live, yeah, I probably know it then. I you know where Mainz. I live. <laughs> I lived in Mainz for many years, yeah. Yeah, for sure you know where I live. There's okay. a there's a big pharmaceutical company here. Okay, heard of. okay, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> All okay. right. 
Well, thank you so much. And uh, any last words, Adrian? No, because I was just trying to think. We always try to coordinate like our opening, but I don't know if we haven't coordinated. No, we don't have a closing. A closing, okay. except we'll see you next time. Yeah. Hey, Delphine, Spania. Be safe. Yeah. yeah. Bis dann. Aus Deutschland. Bye.